Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly. And as always, during the show, we'll be joined by our former ITN journo turned pundit, Derek Dyson. And as we've said for the past 328 episodes on Box to Box, we talk about everything football, the good, the bad and the ugly. And as participants in the conversation to bring about a new and more reliable broadcast platform to football in this country, we've given Paramount Plus plenty of time to correct errors in the broadcast platform. We all remember the chaos around Optus and the World Cup issues, which were quickly resolved. But months down the track, the same issues of unreliability and poor quality continue to bombard social media and review platforms. But how do you have a conversation about these issues with someone who doesn't have a vested interest? So we thought we'd go to one of the most vocal fan platforms in the domestic game and speak to a fellow podcaster, Dave Shroy from the Victory Pod, for Vuck's sake, in the hope that some of the powers that be are listening to what's likely to be in an unvarnished review and step in to insist on improvement for fans of the game in this country. Of course, we'll have all the Matildas and Socceroos news with Willem. Then last week on the show, I speculated with our guest from The Athletic, Liam Toomey, as to whether Manchester City might falter and bring life to the Premier League title race. Well, falter they did, and with Liverpool winning their game in hand, there is now a red-hot race to this year's title between the Premiers of the last two seasons. To get a sense of how the Mancunians are reacting, we'll talk to the Guardian's man on the Manchester beat, Jamie Jackson, and maybe squeeze in one or two about United under Ralph Ragnick, and of course, we'll wrap it up with our extended stoppage time with Derek, there is an absolute heap to talk about. Michael, how are you? I'm very well, Rob, and as we record this show on uh, Thursday afternoon, it's obviously in the shadows of very big world news with uh, Russia's uh, actions against Ukraine. And uh, obviously, football is a global game, isn't it, Rob? So uh, I have colleagues on both sides of that uh, fence, and I just uh, hope it's over very soon. And if only these types of disputes could be uh, settled over a game of soccer. Rob, that would be better, wouldn't it? Yeah, well said, mate. I mean, it's uh, perilous times that uh, we live in and uh, it would be nice if we could just get a ball thrown into the middle of a park and get it all settled. But um, life's just a little bit more complicated than that, isn't it, mate? It certainly is. So uh, obviously we're thinking of uh, people that we know and friends and colleagues on both sides of of the fence of that dispute to uh, stay safe and hopefully uh, very soon it'll be over. Absolutely, mate. All right. Well, I know Willem's got plenty of football, but also we, you know, there's plenty of football-related matters that uh, that touch on uh, on this whole situation with Russia and the Ukraine. So we'll we'll be talking about that throughout the show. So why don't you get us started, Willem? Uh, g'day, Rob. G'day, Michael. Good to be here. Uh, let's start with that. As a result of Russia's actions against Ukraine, UEFA is now highly likely to move May's Champions League final away from St. Petersburg. UEFA counts both Russia and Ukraine among its 55 members, and ESPN and The Independent have reported they've developed contingency plans in recent days. They remain committed to playing the final on May the 28th. Michael, a couple of statements here from UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. He said there's no chance of Russia hosting international events while invading sovereign nations, and UK Culture Secretary Nadine Dorries has added Putin will not exploit global sport to legitimise illegal takeovers. So obviously this is a much bigger issue than sport, but we have seen throughout history that can be a pretty meaningful way of punishing uh, nations who act in a sort of unorderly manner internationally. Not sure that'll be too fast, but it can, I mean, you can close out Russia to an extent and that'll have some sort of impact, maybe. Well, the president of uh, Russia and the uh, chairman of 
China uh, issued a 6,000-word statement on the eve of the Winter Olympics saying that they wanted a new world order. So I think the rules-based uh, that order that we've been living under is uh, right at the moment under real challenge, isn't it? So the question for football is, will FIFA and UEFA um, sanction Russia in any way other than uh, removing events uh, from them? Will, will they... Um, will they kick him out? Uh, I think that's the question. And and uh, in the shadow of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Russia, which we were at Willem and was an incredibly successful and uplifting event, in the shadow of that and obviously, uh, you know, awarding Qatar the 2022 World Cup, you know, does FIFA have the bottle, Rob, to probably do what everyone expects in the Western world, which is to kick him out? Well, I guess, um, you know, it all... Uh ends up uh, sadly with the money trail doesn't it and uh, you know I know I was talking to Derek about it earlier on today and, and we all know that uh, uh, Gazprom are a massive um, sponsor of, of all football um, across Europe and uh, and it'll be uh, interesting to see you know if as you said they've got the kahunas um, the powers of being football to uh, to step up and, and knowing that, that there's going to be uh, you know some reaction from you know one of their biggest sponsors who obviously is one of the uh, uh, the biggest uh, businesses in in Russia. Absolutely, I don't think they will. Willem, what do, you, do, you, do you think there'll be any meaningful action against Russia, or will they just be rolling up to play in the? the, the you know, don't forget, Russia's in the playoffs of, for the World Cup at the moment. Well, in you'd Europe. like to think there'd be some sort of action, Michael. I mean, they've Russian athletes. I know it's different when there's a team, but they've found a workaround through the doping issue, which uh, we've seen at the the past couple of Olympics, the, the summer and then the winter games. So, I mean, there are sort of I know that that's separate to sort of international relations, but there are there are sort of workarounds. So, it is disappointing though. I was reflecting. We were at the World Cup less than four years ago, and it was such an uplifting time for the people on the street. And since then, it's all been downhill. Um, certainly in terms of Russia's image on the world stage. So, yeah, I'm not too sure whether we'll be seeing them uh, roll out for the World Cup qualifiers coming up. It would be a big statement. Let's have a look back home now, Rob. The APL and Channel 10 have scrapped the use of drinks breaks to allow for in-play advertisements during their broadcast. Part of the APL's deal with Channel 10 indica- uh, includes one ad each match and APL Managing Director Danny Townsend has said this will continue but that it's going to be implemented during natural breaks in play. Last Saturday's clash between Victory and Central Coast saw what was a pretty farcical delay for a straightforward VAR decision. I don't really know how they thought they were going to get away with that. It's a bit of a surprise that it's taken this long to come to a head but fair, fair play to, to Danny Townsend in the APL for getting on the front foot uh, hang on, and not hang on. being fair, told fair, today that it is going to be different from this week. Fair play. I mean, who made the decision in the first place to think that that was going to go down well wow. and to be acceptable? It's been going on for a little while and people have going, is, is this actually, um, you know, has this been um, premeditated and planned or is this just sort of some dodgy production? I think we gave them the benefit of the doubt for a little while, but Jason Cummings, I think he said it all for everybody, didn't he? But um, I don't know. Uh, I think there's – it's okay to say, okay, good on you, Danny, you've, uh, you've corrected this, but who let this through – and who made the decision to say this was okay in the first place? Because it's clearly against everything uh, that football broadcasting culture is about. Rob, it sort of got under the radar a little bit when there were games with a few goals, but as we've seen those Saturday night games drag out at nil all, it's become increasingly clear they need to get that ad break away, and we saw it uh, with the drinks plate. Uh, drinks break during the Western United Sydney game and it was I think 24 degrees and or 12 degrees and raining uh, so yeah I mean it is it is a, a, a commercial network they do need to get their ads in but yeah it's a hang on a surprise football's well, broadcast all over the world will I mean, it doesn't happen anywhere else well, not on, on not on that, that, not on commercial TV in this country Hang on, for a question directed at me that's a, sounded remarkably like you Edge responding now um, but you so, would agree with me wouldn't you Rob 
I, I look, I do. I bet, but you're the ad man. I know, a hundred percent, and and I totally get um, that somebody in an ad department somewhere conceived of this idea, thinking that they could they could get away with it, but they obviously didn't talk to anybody who had any remote knowledge of football, uh, and and had no idea of what the consequences were so i'm sort of prepared to lean towards the, the theory that that somebody went uh, with that classic uh, sort of theory of it's easier to apologize than ask permission they thought they'd get away with mm-hmm. it they didn't and uh and, and let's all move on it was a stuff up a big stuff up but uh the football people have got involved in fixing i'm still it, so. dirty when you subscribe to optus and you want to play the highlights on your app yeah you gotta watch morning, ads you gotta watch the bloody tab ad before yeah. i'm still dirty about that when you pay a subscription you still cop an ad well, that is that is that is a joke. I, I've noticed that as well. But that is separate for now, Rob. It wasn't the only big, big stuff up of the week because we've seen the VAR rolled out uh, a fair bit of late as well, and it reached what I'm going to call an adir between the Central Coast and Melbourne City on Tuesday night. Uh, the Mariners wore two appalling decisions, really. Sean Evans' firstly judged contact between Kai Rolls and Marco Tilio came inside the box and awarded City a penalty. It was about a metre and a half outside. Uh, and then later missed a clear foul in the Mariners area, which left Lewis Miller on crutches, leaving the ground in a moon boot. Football Australia conducted a review into the refereeing on Wednesday and stated on both occasions that consulting the VAR was right uh, and that they deemed the first decision justified and the second not so. Rob, we've got to get rid of it, in my opinion. I keep pointing towards that period where we came back from the first COVID break and played matches in the New South Wales hub. That was the back end of the 2019-20 season. There was no VAR for six weeks no one thought about it no one cared about it it was gone it was blissful we need to go back to it yeah look that's um you know in the fairy tale world Willem, sadly and we both know we all know it's not going to happen so i think we just got to get it right and and look and also accept that technology is not going to fix everything that's the the issue that we're dealing with here we think that technology is going to fix everything and and in, if we are going to correct the major errors then somehow or rather the the you know the 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 administrators that, that run the refereeing of this game and refereeing of sport around the world have got to get back to the to the strict letter of the law clear and obvious errors and and that is if they stuck with that I'd, I, I think we'd see a lot less uh, a lot fewer stuff ups I think you're right Rob my only point to add is that human uh, human error will exist and we will have um, blunders from time to time but these were two big ones and I must admit from a human humanitarian point of view there's some people on Twitter who tell you you know when they have a coffee when they go to the toilet when they sneeze Gaddy's one of those guys isn't he Gaddy gets in there he'll tell you when he's crook he'll tell you when he's feeling good I'll tell you what I thought he was going to have a coronary I thought Gaddy was going to tell us I'm now at the emergency department having a heart attack because he was blowing his top big time Bob Rob. <laughs> Bob we love we're, we're Bob Rob Robbie Look, Gaddy, we love you, Gaddy. We love you, Gaddy. But he was um, going off about it. Yeah, it was well, fair we, enough. It was justified. It was justified, it was but I thought, don't put yourself in hospital, Ray. <laughs> no, he's, uh, he, he does go off uh, the long run, that's for he sure. Does. He, he likes does. To, uh, he likes to let everybody know what he's thinking. Nothing wrong and with sometimes that. his tweets are very, very brief. He just, you know, just chooses one very succinct word. I think uh, there was three letters at one point, which was FFS, and I think yeah. everybody knows what that means. Construction company ProBuild has been entered into administration following the withdrawal of funding by parent company WBHO. ProBuild were the foundation stadium and construction partner of Western United, as we well know, and were licensed to deliver the Wyndham Stadium and Precinct project. They had an annual revenue of $1.4 billion and had 18 major commercial and public sector projects across the country, 13 of those in, 13 of those, uh, in Victoria. 
Michael, there's got to be big concerns about this future of this club now. I think, I mean, they haven't been in the actual Western suburbs playing matches since the Geelong experiment didn't really work. Look, they're not going to fold. They're looking good on the pitch and there's now enough money in the game that you can bring a new club in and not have to wrap them up within three or four seasons, as we saw with Gold Coast and North Queensland. But they're also not going to grow without a stadium. And now, if it wasn't indefinite already, it is now. So I think you just have to go to Knight Stadium and say, we need to make this work. Um, look, you know, um, Western United on the field are doing very, very well. You're right, there's enough money in the game to support them uh, if that's what the APL want to do. Um, however, there is a sort of general understanding in the sport that their tenure was very much linked to uh, the development of the stadium out there. And you would say that this, you know, we, we don't know. The, that's the, one of the problems with Western United. They're not, they haven't been transparent about where they're at with the stadium, who's involved with the stadium, whether ProBuild were actually making a contribution as part of some... Um, corporate relationship remember pro build were on this on the shirt for a period of time mm-hmm. so i think there's a lot of questions they just don't answer any of these questions you can ask you, you, we offer them up but they never respond to any of those questions uh, we'd love to have uh, the chief we've had we've, we've made requests previously haven't we for um, key people at that club to come on and answer answer the questions and they don't so in the absence of any information in the absence of transparency around their arrangements of the stadium, you'd have to say uh, there's a big question mark over the club going forward on the basis of this news. Oh, I agree. Uh, Steve Horvat's been pretty good to us in the past. He's come he up has, and but, the but he won't answer questions about the stadium. Okay, well, maybe we'll have to uh, dip in and try to get him on again. And Rob, a final one, uh, a big one, a very big one indeed. The United States women's soccer team have reached an agreement with US soccer over equal pay, bringing to a close their six-year legal battle. The Federation has pledged $24 million US, that's $33.4 million Australian, to the 28 players who launched the action back in 2016 and will equal bonuses and prize money across the board. In 2020, a court dismissed their claim for equal pay, but at that point did instate equalised working conditions. The US Soccer Federation will also establish a $2 million million dollar retirement fund to support players post-retirement so that has been a fight well worth fighting Robin they've got their just rewards in the end yeah no fair play and uh, and they are advocates for a lot of positions but uh, this uh, from you know an equality point of view is a, a huge huge breakthrough so you know this deal it promises 24 million dollars plus bonuses um, that um, that pretty much, as you say, match most of the men's. I mean, there's still that issue of parity w- with uh, with international competitions. Obviously, the World Cup. Uh, when are FIFA going to announce the same prize money for men's and women's, so that you know the parity can be built into the game across every level? But uh, you know, steps uh, need to be taken one at a time in in these sorts of things, and uh, and this is just a massive, massive result. But uh, to be fair as well, um, the Football Australia have, uh, have have embedded equality within the pay structures of, of the game in this country already. So, so um, you know, it's uh, it, it, this this news follows on from from that great news uh, in the last what was it last sometime last year mid mid last year that that announcement was made. Yeah, yeah, around that time. I'm just trying to think back to exactly when it was. I think it might have been late 2020. Uh, Michael, we are edging very close to, of course, the US Soccer's National Council meeting, uh, which will decide the president elections between just the two who were eligible to stand, the incumbent Sydney Cindy Palo-Cone and her predecessor, Carlos Cordero, who's uh, back in through the back door. Yeah, the big news uh, out of this agreement is that the US Soccer has agreed to equalise World Cup prize money in the next CBA negotiations. Um, over in America, they have two unions, one for the women, one for the men. So that's obviously a more difficult uh, process to go. But but uh, Cindy Cohn, who's 42 years of age, who's the current um, president, um, uh, 
Cordona, who's 65, um, he's not supportive of that move. So there is a big gender uh, line being drawn uh, in this in this uh, vote, and uh, unfortunately it's got a lot of similarities to what happened in Australia uh, recently. So let's uh, watch that very, very closely. There's a lot of acrimony now going backwards and forwards about um, uh, innuendo being thrown at both of those candidates. They weren't once were very close and worked together very closely, but uh, now no longer. So that vote, of which the existing players have a big, uh, have a big say in, is going to be very, very close from what I hear. Back to you, Bob. <laughs> Thank you, Wilbur. Um, and uh, oh, no. nice uh, so, gentlemen, um, nice start. Uh, we are going to talk to Dave Shroy after the break from the For Fuck's Sake podcast. Uh, this is a big issue for football people in this country. You know, how do you watch the game and uh, and do it uh, with uh, a, a platform that delivers international quality when international quality is available on just about other every other streaming platform? We're talking about Paramount Plus here, of course. Stick around. Dave Shroy next on Box to Box. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And I think it's fair to assume that anyone listening to this podcast likes football and is likely to want to watch football both live and on a screen of some description. We were all very excited when we heard the news that uh, football had moved from the Fox platform, who over a long period of time had done football justice, but had left it in the wilderness for a long period. So then when we heard about Paramount Plus and the 10 deal, everyone was uh, expecting a lot. And we've got Optus. We know what the standard is with Optus these days. But is three months long enough or a little over three months for Paramount Plus and 10 to correct the errors in the broadcast platform? Uh, if you look at the uh, social media comments and and the various review platforms, it seems like the football public have had just about enough. Uh, we discussed as a group who best to talk about this uh, without a vested interest, but we settled on a man who is from a fellow podcast, one of our favourite podcasts, in fact, for fuck's sake, whether you're a Victory fan or whether you just like football or just want to be entertained by football chat, Dave Shaw and the team do a wonderful job and they have very strong views. And uh, And I think the analogy that I would use is a crickety one that he would be uh, leaning against the picket fence of uh, of the MCG circuit in 1975 and uh, steam coming out of his nose as we welcome him to the show with some very strong opinions on the subject matter at how are you, Dave? Uh, going very well this evening, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for the very warm welcome. Uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly am one of those guys. Um, although I was born in 1978, so I don't, <laughs> I may not have been there in 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 person. But uh, yeah, look, yeah, there's there's a lot to say, a lot to unpack when it comes to the uh, broadcasting situation all round. But I would probably add, when it comes to the state of the game and the league sort of ties into that as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's a situation where, look, let's break these things into their component parts. And we also want to talk about the Keep Up website as well, because, you know, that's got a fair uh, bit of work to go before it becomes the finished product. But in so far as the broadcast platform, I mean, that analogy that I used off the top about Optus, I mean, we were all mightily furious when when the errors and stuff ups occurred when Optus uh, uh, launched, but they were pretty quickly corrected. I mean, have we are we fair enough to suggest that we've given uh, Paramount Plus enough time, given the world of international technology and the fact that they are one of the biggest uh, entertainment platforms or companies in the world? The goodwill has well and truly evaporated. Uh, I think 
for a lot of fans, myself included, uh, coming into this season, it's the best I felt and we felt in probably eight or nine years or, you know, from the, the peak periods of sort of the what, 2011 through to 2015 where, you know, you could argue that the football in the A-League was at its peak. I've always been an optimist, a, a glass half full guy. Uh, it's getting very hard to remain so. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's probably when you factor in Paramount, Channel 10, the ads and uh, various other compounding factors, it's the most pessimistic I've been since the competition started. And I think if things keep heading the way they are, people are going to walk away in their droves. What's been more disappointing, Dave, the lack of basic sort of digital infrastructure that we've come, we've become accustomed to, such as the ability to pause, rewind and watch matches live on demand, or the pretty pretty general silence from Paramount on all these issues? Has it been the actual, the actual problems or the lack of communication? Hard to split those two. I think fans do expect the basics of that user experience when you use any form of app. And we're, football fans are, are savvy. You, know, you guys have talked about Optus. Uh, you know, we, we, we have to consume various streaming platforms and there's a minimum expectation that you know being able to start from live or uh, start from the start, you know, at that... that the option that you get, say, on KO or, or Optus, uh, that's fairly elementary stuff in the world of, you know, the digital platforms and, and, and so on, uh, digital delivery. So, yeah, it's – as for the communication, well, that's just uh, just preposterous at the moment. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, and this may sound a little bit overly dramatic, but if it wasn't bundled into our memberships – uh, as A-League members and subsidised the way it was, I feel a lot of people would probably cut their losses and start to look, dare I say it, at uh, illegal means of, of, of watching these games potentially. And, you know, that is a risk to the integrity of the league and the clubs because there's potentially a flow-on effect in terms of club memberships for next year or next season, which will be massive. So, look, we're, we're all invested in the app and Channel 10 as members uh, by virtue of being tied in in that way. But if there are no signs of improvement over the next couple of months or at least a, a roadmap to say this is what we have in store and these things will be added, uh, yeah, people are going to walk away. And we've seen a, a real PR disaster over the past, well, over the past months, but it's come to a head over the past week in terms of the free-to-air broadcast on the Saturday night with Channel 10 and the ad breaks and the, and the VAR delays. Uh, you would have seen that at the, uh, the South End where you stand on the Victory Terrace with the extended delay between the Victory and Mariners mm. on Saturday night. I know we want to push away from the AFL and NRL and say we want to do our own thing, but in Australia where the, the commercial market is dictated to by those sports which are compatible for free-to-air television, do you think that football, as we like to see it, is compatible because the diehards are paying for the streaming services and then those possible converts who might be watching on on channel 10 are getting what's a pretty manufactured product yeah uh it, incompatible um and you know i've called it out from the start when you know i actually first noticed it on the terrace uh, not the saturday just gone but in, very early on you know there was a pause and it was only 20 degrees on the terrace it was like why are they having a drinks break um yeah look i think we can see from other uh packaged competitions, be it, say, the European Champions League, that there is 
capacity for advertising uh, without ruining the flow of the game and without compromising the integrity of the sport. And it's disappointing. I want to really zero in or zoom in on the APL in this instance, who really should be counselling the people at Paramount and Channel 10 about what it is that football fans are interested in uh, and what what are non-negotiables in in this space when it comes to watching a football match. Um, People are starting to, it's it's becoming a giant meme. Uh, People are piss-taking left, right and centre with with regard to commercial breaks after goals and, and whatnot. So, yeah, they better wake up and uh, smell the coffee uh, pretty soon. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I'm trying to remain optimistic. Of uh, The grace period for me, though, is, is over now. And, yeah, action. We need action. There's a lot of politics in our sport. There's a lot of vested <laughs> interest. There's a lot of conflicts of interest. And the APL clubs as a whole uh, had a campaign that went for about four years to run their own competition. So when that finally eventuated and Football Australia and the APL were able to agree to demerge and new structures were developed, we understand Mm. it's not that long ago, Dave, and we understand that it's going to take some time to bed things in. But there are some, as you said, some very basic infrastructure that is required to pull off uh, some sort of uh, reasonable coverage of the game. Now, mm. uh, I'll just give you my... I've been away for five months, so I'm going to come off a long run here because I've been <laughs> overseas with my work and I go to football games all over the world. And um, I wanted to... Obviously, I've got an interest in women's football, so I wanted to go and see Melbourne City play Sydney FC on Sunday afternoon. And, and on Thursday last week, I sort of looked at the schedule of games and I penciled that one in as, to, as I, I had a bit of time on Sunday afternoon. It was good. I thought I'll go and see that game. Um, and I noticed on the... Uh, I've, I've, lost, I've lost confidence in the Keep Up website for fixtures. Oh. I've just lost confidence in going to that website for information on when games are on and where they're at. Um, so I actually looked at the Keep Up website and it said CB Smith Reserve. So I actually put that in my schedule, but I thought I'll be smarter than the average bear. <laughs> About an hour and a half before the game, before I chuffed off to CB Smith Reserve, I checked Twitter and I checked the official Liberty Women's A-League Twitter feed and it said the game was at Kingston Heath and I thought that's good that's only 15 minutes from where I live Dave and you know we live not far from each other so yes so you know where that is <laughs> so I've been I, there many times yeah. I, I jumped in the car went off to Kingston Heath turned up and there was a COVID there was a COVID uh, testing site there and there was no football and then I went to oh dear. then I went to Paramount Plus and I clicked on the streaming and it was at Amy Park so nowhere in the information that was available, was anyone going to tell me that this game was at Amy Park? And I go to football games professionally for my career all over the world and in my hometown, I've buggered it up. So that is a good example of where we're at. I know there's complexities around uh, availability of fields and COVID with rescheduled matches and stuff, but really getting that sort of information right by the league has to be a non-negotiable, doesn't it? Certainly. Yeah, it's it's... And how are you going with trying to find the fixtures on on the Keep Up website? How do you go with that? I've I've given up. I have honestly given up, and it's I'm almost embarrassed to say I go to like a Live Scores or a Fop Mob, um, which you know aren't even Australian, uh, and I get stats and lineups much easier than I would on Keep Up. And look, if we if we're going to talk about Keep Up, I, I I I it's it's hard for me to be 
critical. I, I was invited to be part of the launch and put together a couple of articles uh, for the site. And I work in adjacent to IT sort of work for my day job. And I understand, you know, IT project management and how difficult these things are you know, from a project management perspective, but it's a shambles, uh, unfortunately. And yeah, I, I don't know where to go in terms of fixturing or it's, it's just very clunky. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost as if they need to start again, isn't it? Doesn't it? It really, it, I just hope they're building a new one behind the scenes and it's just going to turn up one day. But um, I, 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 it, it is, I don't know what they're trying to do. I mean, let's just focus on their core business, which is A-Leagues. Forget yeah, about it, yeah. that stuff, you know. But so the, the content copy is good. It. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It is. It is. Uh, there, there's some good people involved in it. And I know, and you know, there is absolutely no doubt that they're working extremely hard day by day to, to get this up and running and, and so on. But uh, yeah, football fans, uh, the, the patience is, is running very thin right now. This is Box to Box, and we're talking to Dave Schroy off of Vuck's sake on what's been a difficult start for Paramount Plus Channel 10 and Keep Up. Dave, just a final one for you. I'm keen to get your thoughts as a fan on the impact of midweek fixtures and what it's doing for uh, maybe the suffocation of the storyline and the ups and downs of a season. Obviously, it's, it's COVID-impacted and it's not ideal, but I find myself as a fan wanting week to week to have the week to think about what's gone wrong in the last game, how we might come up against uh, this week's opponents. And I know obviously midweek matches are part of football around the world, but it's felt so many of these matches being played on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights that they're more of an obligation, a box to be ticked in front of an empty stadium. And it's not allowing those actual football on the pitch stories uh, to breathe. Would you concur? Oh, uh, undoubtedly, there's there's a, for families in particular, it's near on impossible to get things together to attend a midweek fixture with all the different sporting responsibilities that families have usually on weeknights and the clashes that will invariably happen. Uh, and it's obvious. I think attendances are down across all sports. I think particularly in Melbourne, we will know a lot more about how that has impacted when we have the to give them a leave COVID, we give them a leave pass for COVID though don't we yeah I think so and look um I understand why they're trying to uh pack in as many games as possible because things will get even more difficult when the other codes resume uh in terms of not only uh ground availability and just general infrastructure but also the the, the eyes of the media at large. So there's there's an acknowledgement there that, you know, it, it's hard work at the moment and they're, they're attempting their best to, to ensure that the league is finished and time. The delays of COVID have, you know, had an impact as well so yeah it's 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 difficult so i have sympathy on on all of these topics i have a sympathy for those uh the those in charge um however yeah when it comes to some of these fundamentals that you know it's really starting to degrade uh, people's faith in the brand of the A-League as a whole. Well, Dave, it has been a very tough start testing even the diehards, but your passion for the game and for your club is clear. And as a result, uh, 
like everyone else on this podcast here as well, uh, places to come for some from proper football debate. We'll thrash out the issues when they're tough and we'll celebrate the good times when they inevitably yeah. come around again. So thank you once again for coming on. Thank you, Willem. Thank you, Rob and Edge. Uh, hope to see you guys one day soon. And yeah, keep keep up the good work. Make sure you go check it out for Vuck's sake if you haven't done so already. Coming up on the other side of the break, we'll have a look at what's been a big week for a few Socceroos and Matildas around the globe. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box, and what a great chat it was with Dave Shroy from For Vuck's Sake, uh, one of the best football podcasts going around. Uh, We hope you enjoyed listening to it because we know that uh, our football listeners, of which it's every single one of them, uh, have uh, felt the same sort of uh, feelings that we tried to get across in in that conversation. We're going to recap the discussion in a moment with a few other points to make uh, on that subject. But before we do, we want to talk about our very good friends at Chemist Warehouse. The last couple of years have all been about COVID. And one thing that sort of sat back in the uh, distance and has not affected us is, of course, the flu. But we're all getting back together again now and we know that with people getting around each other together the flu will return so are you ready to do your part to help slow the spread of influenza well if you are then it's time to book in for your flu immunization at chemist warehouse immunization is a safe and effective way to help protect you from the flu by getting immunized you also help to protect those who are too ill or too young to be vaccinated after all it takes a community to build immunity to book your quadrivalent strain vaccine today for $17.99 go to chemistwarehouse.com.au slash flu you don't need to bring in a script the prescription and administration are provided in store by a qualified health professional that website again for bookings chemistwarehouse.com.au slash flu chemist warehouse guys we've got to get in there quick we're going to be the leaders on this great savings every day biggest deal you'll ever get on a flu vaccination so let's get this started so that we can all continue on now that we're back out and about and returning to some semblance of normality and not get the uh, not get the flu sounds good to me rob no you don't want the flu you don't want COVID, and yeah you know you don't want the flu you do want the flu uh vaccine the flu jab uh just one thing that i think we should probably touch on that we didn't get a chance to get in there with dave is around keep up and the fact that the apl have pretty much put their hand up and said that it's been released as an mvp a minimal viable product so when they did the the handover uh the football australia digital assets didn't come across. So they basically had to, to cook something up uh, in a very short space of time and put out, yeah, the minimum viable product. So Danny Townsend has said it's at 20% of its planned capacity and that they're going to look to relaunch another phase of it ahead of the finals. I can sort of understand that, but I think it's already got a bit of a stink about it. Yeah, that's a, that's the problem they face. So they haven't really... Um, I know everything happened very, very quickly, but um, I think... They probably tried to do too much in that in that short term. When you're getting fundamental things like fixturing wrong, and 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 it's just people need to rely on it as a source of information, like you do with NRL's website or AFL's website. At the moment, people aren't going there; they've ditched it because it's not working for them. Now they may be able to recover that situation, but um, maybe they're not aware of just the depth of. Um, Problems people are having with that site, Willem. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I mean, I'm. I like to think I'm I've st- almost given it away. Oh. And, I, and I'm. And we're. And we're. In. We're internal stakeholders of the sport. I mean. Yeah. I've. I've tried to live off it, and I can't. Yeah. Oh, look. I've actually never looked at Keep Up. Um, like some of the copy and content that they're generating is f- is, is, is first class. Yeah. And much. Much. 
much better than what the uh, previous administration did. Yeah, well, just so, to elaborate on that comment, though, you yeah. said you've never looked at Keep Up. I think you were going to expand on that. Um, yeah, I have read the copy when it when it comes through on feeds, Twitter. Uh, I don't think I have it on Facebook, but anyway, I spend a fair bit of time on Twitter. And when the when the copy comes up from from reputable journos, uh, I'll read that. And some of it, a lot of it, has been really really good. But in terms of actually on my phone going to the app as a reliable source of knowing when the fixtures are on, uh, when games are happening, and especially at this time when fixtures are being postponed and changed, you know, every couple of days, sometimes as late yeah, as you three like or four me. days out, you really, need to, yeah. you really need to lean on it. And as Michael says, we're internal stakeholders. We want to be engaged with this. So for some of my friends who are more casual, who I try to drag to games, try to whip up interest in them, uh, yeah, it's really not getting the business done at this stage. Uh, let's have a look at Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army, though. There is no better time to join the Green and Gold Army with two massive years coming up for both our Socceroos and Matildas. Either one or two trips to Qatar for the Socceroos, Michael, and the Asian Cup in China, and a home world Cup followed by the Paris Olympics for the Matildas. There's something for everyone in there, so jump on the mailing list at ggatravel.com.au. Before we have a look at some of the feats around club land, we do need to touch on a sad passing though, Michael. Uh, former Socceroos goalkeeper Jim Milosavljevic, I hope I've got that pronunciation right, who's passed aged 70. Druggle Yub, or Jim as he went by, was one of our three keepers taken to the 74 World Cup. He was also one of just three non-New South Wales players in the squad, and he was actually the third youngest uh, in the squad. He played his football at Footscray, Carlton and Ringwood, and remarkably played the back end of his career as a striker, having uh, put the gloves away, having broken his wrist three times by age 26. Yeah, and he anglicised his name. So we know we if you were involved in Victorian football, you knew him as Jimmy Mills. Yes. Um, and the thing about all, all of that is that um, he remained involved in the sport even long after he played. And uh, he was a very significant person in the sport at clubs all over the place and uh, made a good contribution to various parts of the game, including referees. So mm-hmm. to Jimmy um, and his family, um, he'll be sadly missed. I didn't know he was ill and... I would often see Jimmy at matches uh, in the NPL. He'd just turn up and have a look at a game, um, even when he had no affiliation with a, with a particular club. So I am, um, yeah, I, I must admit when that news came across my desk, I, I felt particularly sad because uh, it's too young to, to pass away. And to, to Jimmy's family, who are great footballing people and great footballing family, um, we send our heartfelt condolences and uh, he will be missed. This might be a bit of a generalisation, but it really does seem that that 74 crew all were lifelong participants and contributors to the game. They all seem to have continued There's to There's one contribute. notable exception in, in Peter Wilson. Okay. But um, uh, apart from him, everybody had a big contribution. And Ray Gatt was talking about um, Jack Riley just uh, uh, yesterday, saying that Jack's decided to go home and live in Scotland because he'd spat the dummy with the A-League. Now, I don't know how true that is, but maybe we get Ray on to do it. But, I mean, um, there is uh, they have a great... Um, folklore and narrative with the sport for obvious reasons and we've lost too many of them and uh, and Jimmy um, he'll be having a cup of coffee with Mike Cockrell and Johnny Warren uh, and a few others up there too Les Murray Les Murray yep they'll all be getting together and having a yak about how crap the keep up website is <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will be. Uh, Rob, you are the Italian man on our panel, and Christian Volpato has become the first Aussie since 2009 to score a goal in the Serie A. He came off the bench uh, for Jose's Roma in their two-all draw with Hellas Verona. Let's take a listen. Etu's delivery through a mass of bodies, breaks nicely! Lifeline for Roma! And it is the teenager, Christian Volpato! with his first goal for the club.
He is just the 10th Aussie to play in the Italian top flight. Now, Rob, this is not a question without notice, but I'm going to put it to both you. Well, it is a question without notice, but I'm going to give you to the end of the segment. I want you to sit on it, and we're going to come back to the end, and we're going to try and rattle off the other nine to have played in the Serie A. Uh, we'll move on for now. Alma Bill, he got off the mark for Kasim Passa, scoring a trademark cutback goal on his right, which ended up in a four-all draw with Konya Spore. And Joel King's also underway with his new Danish club, OB, playing 87 minutes at left-back in a 2-0 loss. So uh, new beginnings for some young Australians on the continent. And Riley McGree's helped Middlesbrough stay inside the Championship's top six with an assist in their come-from-behind win at home to West Brom. McGree. That's nicely played. Tavernier. Well done! In from McNair! Middlesbrough's best move of the game, and Paddy McNair strikes them level. One of our other Aussies playing in the top five league, unfortunately isn't playing too much at the moment, and that's Matt Ryan, but he did take the gloves for Real Sociedad's Europa League meeting with RB Leipzig. They drew two all in the first leg, so it's all to play for, and uh, Matt has been taking the gloves in the uh, in the tournaments and the cups, if you like. He was back on the bench through the, uh, throughout the week in the league, uh, but hopefully he will be recalled for the second leg on Friday morning. And it's been a big, big start, Michael, to the J-League season for Kevin Musket and Yokohama. They drew two all with Siro Osaka on Saturday, but on Wednesday... They hosted the dominant Kawasaki Frontale, winners of four of the uh, past five J-League titles, and knocked them off 4-2. Yeah, look, J-League's a great competition. It's uh, incredibly competitive, and uh, especially the top three, three, four, or five clubs, they're very, very significant clubs, and uh, I love watching the J-League, and one of the great little uh, bonuses of having Optus is you get it. Elsewhere, Mitch Langrak is back at it with a clean sheet for Nagoya in their 2-0 win over Vissel Kobe. And Stefan Mork has, after all, got his move to J2 side Fagiano Okayama, where he'll be a teammate of Mitch Duke and former Sydney defender Jordi Baus, or Boyce, the, uh, the Dutchman who was around maybe five, six years ago for Sydney with the, uh, with the Mohawk. Let's have a look at the A-League women. Michael, a couple of big results. Firstly, Sydney against Melbourne City. Three zip to the Sky Blues of the original Sky Blue variety, if you like. Two more for Rachel Lowe and another for Paige Satchel. Uh, they really do head into this final series with a r- ridiculous array of scoring options. They do, but um, Melbourne City were a great victory over Sydney uh, last weekend means that um, there's going to be uh, a challenge for the top table there. They've got a game in game up their sleeves, Melbourne City. Uh, they're actually playing right now as we record this, but um, you know the A-League women's is coming to a crescendo. Melbourne Victory's hit the speed bump. They've uh, had a fixture glut, and uh, it looks like they're not recovering well between games. And obviously when Melbourne City rolled Sydney FC last weekend, Willem, uh, that has also uh, well and truly put the cat among the pigeons. So um, all positions in the top four are up for grabs. Well and truly. Bit of news regarding the Australian Cup era. It is, of course, going to be back uh, in 2022. And Football Victoria has received an additional place, which will see their number of teams rise to five. That placing was on offer due to the inability of the NPL finals to be conducted in 2021 due to COVID-19. That is, of course, the uh, the state uh, the winners of each of the states playing off in their tournament. So Victoria was rewarded based on their highest percentage of entered clubs, over 200 each season, and a strong performance over the seven editions as well. So member federations remain entitled to 22 of the Cup's 32 entrants, with qualifying for this season having conven- commenced in Victoria, Queensland and Northern New South Wales. So Rob, obviously Football Australia has come out and uh, just clarified and confirmed everything that we knew and that, that is Victoria is the best NPL competition out. So Victoria is the best competition outside the A-League. I don't want to offend any of our New South Wales listeners, but obviously that decision has meant that uh, that is no longer an item for dispute. All right, Rob, 
New ball. We need okay. nine Australians to have played mm. in the Syria. Christian so there's Volpato ten, including Christian Volpato. Yes. Okay. 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 But are we also including the women? Um, is this just men's? Because, just men's. Uh, just men's. But why don't you say one and then I'll say one and we'll, we'll I'll alternate. Rob, what do you think? Okay. All right. So uh, well, the, the the first the one that comes to mind is is Johnny Aloisi, of course. I think he's the 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 one that's. Um, the standout for mine. Correct. Yep. Yep. So Johnny Lewis is there. Well, I'm going to start with a obscure one. The, the flower, Frankie Farina. He was he was there in the early days. He played for Bari, 91-92. Okay, over to you, Rob. Uh, the great Marco Bresciano, who is oh, not yeah. Marco, it's Mark. Palma. But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Palma, Palermo, Lazio, yep. Yep. I'm going to go with another um, relatively obscure one, Carl Valeri. Ooh. Don't have nice. Carl here. Yeah, Carl's there. Maybe he only played Serie B, so we'll yeah, take him off. No, we need the top flight, unfortunately. Okay, all right. Well, I'll give you another one. While Paul Ocon. Correct. Vinny Grella. Yep. Correct. Who did Vinny play for Willem? Vinny played for Empoli, Parma and Torino from 98 to 99 and then back from 2002 to 2008. And then he picked up the superannuation of Blackburn Rovers. Uh, and then Melbourne Hart. Okay, here's one for you. I don't know whether this guy was Serie B or Serie A, but I'll throw up the stumps. James Troisi. James Troisi, spot on. Atalanta, 2012, 13, and that was when he came home and was loaned to Not many games. Not many games. not many games, but did play a senior game, so it counts. So how many we got? We've got one, two, three, four, five, six of the nine. We've got three to go, Rob. Over to you. I've got one more, and then you're going to have to bring us home, Edge, or Willem's going to have to do it. But um, the Spider-Man. Um, he, oh, yeah, yeah. It was uh, Zoko Kalats, uh, who was oh, the most great highly paid uh, back up to, uh, to Dita, of course, at AC Milan for so many years. But he, he was also at... Uh, spent, his time, spent his time on the beach punting. Yeah. <laughs> so he was Lost at Perugia and then Milan. <laughs> so we've got three to come. Three or two? Three. Oh, I'm in trouble. I'm out. Oh, did you say Paul Ocon? Yeah, I said Paul Ocon. Okay, so we've yeah. just got two to go. Two players who Give are us a hint. both Socceroos, both current. Hmm. Both current Socceroos. One hasn't played in the Socceroos, but he, okay, one of them has made two extended World Cup squads, but hasn't made the final 23. Two extended World Cup squads and hasn't made the final 23. And the other one wears the armband for Australia semi-often. Um, oh, Trent Sainsbury. Did, I cannot believe Trent Sainsbury's played in... For Inter Milan, no oh less. Oh, my God. That has escaped me. Okay, so there's one more. Oh, we, oh, we, we should know this. Absolutely. Fiantora and Empoli. We should know it. Josh Berlante. Josh Berlante. There we go. Damn, that's, that's I'm your disappointed ten. with myself there. Trent Sainsbury, I would never have known. I mean, I cannot believe he's played for Inter Milan. How many games did he play for them? Oh, was he one? there for like? Yeah, he was there for like a fleeting Maybe moment. you know why you didn't know it because he probably played under his alter ego, Turn Sainsbury. Turn Sainsbury, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> is Turn an Italian name, Rob, or is that a or is that a mushroom risotto variation, Damien? Maybe it is. But look, I'm going to throw myself to uh, uh, borrow something that I said. Um, earlier in the show, Under the Bus, uh, that, that was a reference to the early days of Box to Box when Mark Van Aken was doing the news and typing up the scripts, and I thought he'd referred to a uh, an obscure Swiss uh, football club as Turn Sainsbury and read it off the piece of paper that he provided me to my great embarrassment and eternal shame. Gentlemen, we are going to have to wrap it up there because we have gone on a long, long time and we do have a guest waiting for us, the great Jamie Jackson from The Guardian. Uh, so uh, He's probably Paul thinking, ben- oh, my God, who are these guys? I've never heard of them. Oh, I- <laughs> the players, I mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's heard of us. 
<laughs> well, he probably hasn't heard of the players we're talking about. Yeah, Frank, Frankie Flower. Thank yeah. you, Farina. I wonder if Jamie. Well, you don't know some... Italian. Farina in Italian means flour, as in flour uh, that you make bread with, as opposed to flour that grows Correct. in the garden bed. Uh, all right, um, gentlemen, let's wrap it up there. Well done, Willem. Um, Jamie Jackson from the Guardian. We're going to talk Manchester, well, City, and United after the break. Stick around. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving, and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Well, I do admit last week when I was speculating with our guest, Liam Toomey, from The Athletic uh, as a self-confessed Liverpool supporter, that it was more in hope uh, that I asked the question around whether Manchester City might stumble and and reignite the premiership race. Little did I realise that Spurs were going to turn up and do just that and Liverpool would uh, counter with a, a convincing win over Leeds in the game in hand. And to talk about how that's all gone down in Manchester, the man on the beat with the Guardian is Jamie Jackson and we welcome him back. Back to the show. How are you, Jamie? I'm good, thank you. Okay. Yeah, real good, mate. Um, yeah. So there was one point last week when Norwich were leading Liverpool and uh, uh, and looking pretty good at the time that the the margin, the gap could have gone out to as much as 12 points. But by the end of both games, it was clear that uh, that the, the Premiership race was on the line. Do, do, do you regard this as a genuine falter? Uh, did, did Spurs just turn up and and play at their absolute peak Spurs capacity? Uh, or um, or is this title race genuinely back on? Well, it's definitely back on. Um, I mean, I, I was at that game, uh, the Spurs game you, you referenced, and you know Spurs were excellent, obviously the Harry Kane. But what what I what what I would say is it's kind of how you beat Manchester City. So I've seen Crystal Palace, for example, do a similar job this season at the Etihad. I think that game was two nil. Uh, Wilfred Zaha was almost like their Harry Kane, if I could put it that way. Palace's Harry Kane. And, you know, it's not really a big secret. They defend so high up that you hit them on the counter-attack to City. Diaz, that it's usually Laporte and not the, not the quickest centre-backs. Yeah, you know, you sort of go over the top or, or, or down along the ground, get in behind and, you know, score. So, it's interesting, you know, you say about the 12-point swing that they could have been with the Norwich when they were leading. I can remember doing a match report um, of Manchester City's when they won and the opening line was something, you know, they're intent on making this title defence a procession in that, you know, it's basically over. Because at that point, because the game's in the hand that Liverpool lagged behind, you know, they were 12 points ahead. Um, and now it's down to three, isn't it? With them both having played the same amount of games. I think it's 26. So, definitely back on. Very interesting. You know, Manchester City, until that loss, I think they've won 18 or 20 games. Um, so, you know, they haven't done much wrong. But so it shows how good Liverpool have been and are being. And, you know, They've got to play them, haven't they? I think Liverpool. I think it's at the Etihad. No, is it, is it, I think it might be Anfield yeah, that game. Yeah, They've got to play each yeah, other anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, and I believe if Liverpool win that, then it's a, it'd be a goal difference thing if both teams then go and win you know the rest of their games. So it is very very interesting. Um, you know, City. I've just described how you beat them, but of course it's easier said than done because teams do try and play that way on the counter attack against them. But it is the way to do it. Uh, Southampton also have done a job on them. Uh, previously, so let's wait and see. I've got to be honest, um, I really don't know how to call it because Guardiola usually has something up his sleeve, but correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not sure this has really happened before in that they've had such a massive lead under Guardiola, they sort of five or six years there, and it's been cut back to basically three points. And you mentioned goal difference before there, Jamie. Of course, Liverpool racked up a, a cricket score in uh, in the end in, uh, yeah. 
in in their in their uh, recent game. And what do you think the significance of that result actually is? Not just the fact that Liverpool closed the gap to three, but they did it in such emphatic fashion. As you said, City are great front runners, but probably the last team you want to be looking over your shoulder and seeing is Klopp and, and this uh, this Liverpool team that never give up. At the moment, Liverpool are the top form side. City, are, yeah, this is only margins, but it's, you know we're talking about margins here. They're, they're a little bit behind them maybe on the form curve. And yeah, you know, I would say that you don't want, as you just basically said, you don't really want Liverpool stroke with your know, Klopp in charge to be the team because they've won the title. They've won the Champions League recent years. You know, that, that sort of front line, the way he has them drilled, um, Klopp, you know, is a bit of a proposition, really. Um, so, you know, if you ask me to name a favourite, I, I think it's a joint favourite thing. I'm not sitting on the fence. I just think it's very difficult to call. You know, Guardiola was sitting there in all the press conferences I've done recently, or, you know, for the last two or three months, whatever it's been, saying, yeah, listen, it's, it's, it's not over. Um, you know, this is when he was sitting on a sort of 9, 10, 11, 12 point gap and you're thinking, mm, really? And he's sort of been proved right. But I don't, I don't, what I'm trying to say is I don't think he believed that. I think he was saying that because he has to say that. Uh, he has to be careful. And OK, he's been proved sort of right. But I, I, I don't even think Klopp, you know, Klopp recently said something like, oh, you know, we can't really be starting to think realistically about catching them. So, you know, but he, here we are. Uh, it's just... You know, this is this is great. You know, for someone who you know, covers sort of City as well as Manchester United, and you know, is obviously a football journalist. It's, it's, it's great now because he's got sort of twelve games left. You know, sort of third or, or quarter of the season left, and, and it's, it's, it's a twelve-game title race now, which is really really exciting. This is Box to Box. We're talking to the Guardians, Jamie Jackson, about well, Manchester City. We're going to uh, switch over to the other side of town. It was a long, long time where Manchester United would uh, look down their nose and uh, refer to City with the uh, the insulting sobriquet, the noisy neighbours. Well, maybe maybe it's them that are the noisy neighbours these days. Uh, uh, Fred uh, came out before the Champions League game against Atletico and uh, you know, effectively threw the manager, the interim manager, Ralph Rangnick, under the bus, uh, uh, it would have been a lot more heat on both Fred and the club if they hadn't have gotten uh, that um, goal to uh, to pinch a point uh, or at least a draw over at, uh, at Atletico. But what, what do you make of, of Fred's comments? And uh, and United, uh, they've only lost one match in the Premier League since uh, the new year, but they've had plenty of draws. Uh, uh, how, how do you, you look at the the, uh, the scenario at Old Trafford? It still seems like there's a lot of unrest. Yeah, you're right. I mean, listen, I think I hear what you're saying. I don't think it helped Randy at all, but I think he was more saying that the fact that they had an interim manager, not necessarily because it was, you know, specifically Randy, but the fact they were in this situation is not great. Um, and yeah, you're right. Could, you know, the way, the one way of looking at it is would, would a player be saying this at City or Liverpool? No, he would not. Would, would City and Liverpool have an interim manager, you know, the, the way those clubs are run and have been recently? No, they would not. So you're completely 100% correct. It's a little bit of a state of flux, I might say, a mess there. Um, but it's interesting you referenced that, that record there. It may well have changed now that Liverpool have won this, this game yesterday, but there was a stat going around that, you know, since he came in, only City had won more, won more points in the Premier League than sort of running stroke United. So he's doing a, a half decent job, um, you know. That they, they, they were pretty awful uh, yesterday evening. 
uh, Atletico until, you know, the back end of the match. And it is a 90 minutes plus, you know, whatever injury time uh, minutes are added game. And, you know, they, they, they ended well. Alanga took his goal well. And he's actually been, if you want a sort of, uh, you know, a microcosm of where Ranjik's doing well, it's, it's in Alanga because he, he's brought them to the team and he's scored three or four times now. That was, that was his debut Champions League goal. He's now the youngest scorer ever for United in a knockout game in the Champions League, Alanga. And he took it well. You actually thought he was going to score this. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's not great. You know, you look at the table, they're four points ahead of West Ham, who are fifth. Um, you know, Arsenal have three games on hand, so they could, they could overtake them. Who knows? You just don't know what's going to happen. You know, I'm not a United or a City fan, but my son is a United fan. He was asking what, what do you think will happen in the return game for Atlético, you know, the tie, basically. I was like, I don't know. I've got a clue. I'll be out that game. Old Trafford. Who, who knows? They've got a very good chance of going through, but but will 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 we'll they take it? Because they keep, you know, they're very good at shooting themselves in the, in the foot. United. Um, big job. Richard Arnold's coming as you know Woodward's replacement. He's got to get his his first permanent manager's appointment correct because Woodward never, and David Moyes, and never, you know, in the summer of 2013 or May 2013, he never really recovered from that. You know what I mean? It was just a sort of procession of kind of quasi disasters. The last the previous nine years, uh, so you know it's, it's fascinating to cover. Um, you know the club Manchester United. Um, I bet the game on Saturday is Watford three at three pm um, at Old Trafford. It should be good with Watford, of course it should. But let, <laughs> let's wait and see what, what what happens with this team. You just really just do not know. I just just one thing to highlight: Marcus Rashford, an interesting case. He was taken off yesterday, I think for a langer actually. He just looked lost. This was the season, uh, gents, where, you know, having had his sort of operation on his shoulder, he was going to be paid free according to him. And, you know, be the Marcus Rashford. We've seen spurts. He's never really been a consistent force. But to be honest, he's been consistently bad. I've got to mm. say, I don't know how many goals it is. It's not many. Four or five. Really been off it. And it's interesting what's going on with him. All, all players can have difficult phases, but I'm a bit surprised how long his, you know, his is going on. And he's one example of why they're, yeah, they're in fourth and struggling really because there's too many players been like that. Fernandez, I'm not putting him in the same bracket, but he hasn't been the Fernandez that he has been. Listen, he created the goal yesterday, and even when you get a sort of, you know, a loss from Fernandez's performance in a particular game, he will contribute something. But he's still not been, you know, and he can go for the team. Harry Maguire. Not sure what's happened to him. Luke Shaw, where's he been? Juan Pazaka can't get in the team anymore. Dallow's okay-ish. You know, he had to play Lindelof yesterday. He didn't do very well. You know, it wasn't his fault, but you know, the goal he scored was, I would suggest, because he didn't have the proper right-back there. And you go through the team, really. Fred's in and out. Sancho's not really done it, but he's looked good recently. You know, it's all a little bit patchy, isn't it? And that's basically why the team's a little bit patchy. United have not been producing players with the same frequency Certainly, you know, since the glory years of the mid-90s. But when you look across the squad, yeah, Rashford's an example. Uh, McTominay is probably another example. But there aren't yeah. many. And then when you look across uh, the likes of City, who have produced Foden, and then, you know, they've been playing a couple of their their kind of younger stars in uh, this year as well. Is there a production line there? Are there other players at United that can follow in Alanga's path and potentially get near this first team? I think there still is. You know, because City for years, basically you had, um, oh, crumbs, what's the, uh, uh, Micah Richards. You had Micah Richards, and that was 
in about 2007 or 8. And that was basically it for a regular first team, you know, even squad member in Tulk Foden, what, 2017? So you look at about a decade. Mm. United have never, never really had that gap ever. And they still are producing. I would suggest if you have a, you know, an in-house player getting to the first team squad, let's say at once a year, that, that's good. And I think United have basically done that. I'm not saying that, you know, they play regularly all the time. You've got Mason Greenwood, you know, for other reasons, he's now out of the squad. But he, you know, he was, he was, he was a brilliant player that, that they brought through. But yeah, City have caught up. They've got Cole Palmer, they've got uh, McAtee, you know, uh, Delap, Delap striker. Yeah. So they're catching up a little bit. But I would still suggest that United aren't aren't too shoddy, and they have tried to have a look at that. You know, they have sort of restructured. That's that's probably about one of the best things Wolves did was sort out the academy a little bit because there was you know there's a time when Phil Neville's kid for example you know when chose City over United which is not great really you know obviously him being a United player uh, but that's another thing you know another sort of cause for concern for United that City have caught them up there and Guardiola actually has been as good as his word he's got these players that we've mentioned you know they've been training with the first team squad you know and because he feels they're good enough he's put them in and that's another massive bonus the city that they deserve plaudits for. You know, it's a very, very well-run club. Basically, what they've done there is not rocket scientists. They've, they've looked at, this is like sort of 2012, 13, 11, 12. Who's the best manager in the world do we think Guardiola? Right, we're going to set it all up for him. So they get Bergeris Leading, uh, the sporting director, Soriano, who's the chief executive, who worked with him at um, Barcelona, and then said to Guardiola, look, this is being built for you. This is the structure. You know, c- come to our club, and it'll all be about you, the manager. And I think that's the way to go. Yes, and they were very smart about it. United somehow have to do the same. Well, it's interesting. We have a conversation about Manchester United and one R. Ronaldo does not get a mention, uh, which is probably an indication of where he is at in his career. But uh, <laughs> if there's one thing's for sure, it's uh, City are the uh, the top dogs in that town right now, uh, Jamie. So, hey, Jamie, look, thanks again for joining us, mate. We'd love to chat and uh, have a fireside yarn for another couple of hours, mate, but you've got a busy day ahead. Um, we uh, always encourage any of our listeners, if they want to read some good copy, uh, particularly around the Manchester beat, to look for your byline in the Guardian, mate, and uh, and listening to you just now, uh, that is uh, as good an endorsement for your work as any, mate. So thanks again for joining us, Jamie. Thank you ever so much. Take it easy. Jamie Jackson from The Guardian. Stay well, Jamie. Okay, stick around. There's a bit more football to talk uh, around the world on stoppage time. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is stoppage time. Fourth official has given us plenty of time and we will need plenty of time because uh, the topic on everyone's lips around the world, whether it's uh, football or politics, is, of course, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, We are going to discuss some other football matters, but um, we want to sort of have a a close look at this issue and just what the the ramifications are across uh, Champions League, across World Cup qualifiers, uh, a whole bunch of things. So, Derek, how how do you uh, assess it with uh, uh, the lens of, you know, the last 24 hours and the fact that all of this hype is actually, and this talk is actually coming to, to fruition and, and, uh, um, and it's, it's real. It's, um, it's, uh, it's actually happening. Yeah. It's obviously dramatic pictures that we're seeing now, but, and obviously we're a football podcast. So we, we have to look at the football angle and there are already some, some things that we can point to, not just 
the fact that uh, Roman Yaramchuk scored the equaliser for Benfica in the Champions League last night and took his shirt off, and he uh, he uh, had a show of support there for his for his home country. Uh, and of course, sticking with the Champions League, the fact that the final is in that magnificent stadium in St Petersburg, or it's meant to be, uh, UEFA. I've have kind of said that that won't happen now, or it's certainly on the cards. But I wonder, Edge, uh, Gazprom is a major UEFA sponsor. They reportedly put forty million euros into this tournament per season. It's a form of soft power. Uh, do do you think that those forty million euros might have some parts play in whether this Champions League final will be played in Russia or not? Um, of course it will. Uh, my personal opinion is that politics and sport should mix because I've had the great privilege of going to seven FIFA World Cups in my in a professional capacity and I can understand the impact of these events when ordinary people meet ordinary people from uh, countries all over the world, even countries that have um, disastrous political or cultural relationships and the good that, that that generates from those activities far outweighs the bad. So I'm actually not in favour of any countries taking action in the sporting arena that stops the interaction of general pe- general people that are, that is, you know, f- far removed from the political machinations that we're seeing at the moment. So um, I, I think FIFA won't have the bottle to do anything um, about the Russian um, actions in Ukraine. They won't kick them out of the out of FIFA. They won't suspend them. Um, they won't stop taking Gazprom's money. Um, they may they may um, uh, not allow them to host some events, but I think that is about all we will see as a result of this, unless things escalate even further than what they already are. I think that's just the FIFA DNA. I don't personally agree with that, but that's what I think will happen. Other issues, of course, will be Scotland's World Cup qualifier against the Ukraine. It's a massive game for both sides. I don't think Scotland will be going to Ukraine for that. So it will be interesting to see whether they'll find a neutral venue and or whether, you know, depending on what the situation is in the country, whether that game will happen at all. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but uh, with a full-scale invasion of the country going on, you wonder what will happen. Uh, and of course, um, they've not been, you know, Ukraine is a country used to it football being disrupted of course we've had Shakhtar Donetsk you know not quite a superpower in European football but certainly very competitive they've not been able to play at the Donbass Arena um, which uh, which of course hosted uh, the Euro 2012 uh, matches um, for some time now they've been playing in Lvov and and Kharkiv and, and now playing in Kiev which is 750 k's away from their home so there's a few different clubs in that Donbass area who will certainly be disrupted. And yeah, we'll just have to keep an eye on it and see 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 what happens. Jen, so just taking a complete sh- shift change, I want to talk about Jack Wilshire. I know we talk about Arsenal a lot on this show and Spurs fans, we will get to Spurs in a moment, but Jack Wilshire is now 30 years old. Uh, I was there when he had his breakthrough game against Barcelona where, where pundits were saying he had... Javi in his back pocket for most of the game, but such is the fall for Jack Wilshire that he's now found himself at AGFR House, uh, and they're a club in northern Denmark. And I had to go and Google them because I had no idea who they were. They do have some pedigree, and they have a 
19,000 stadium, but that is where Jack Wilshire will now be playing his football. And we just hope that he can get some game time. But uh, I, I wanted to know just a little bit about the Australian connection to this club and maybe bring Willem in. There's a current um, Australian uh, player in the side. There's an under-23 called Jing Reese, who I must admit I do not know a lot about. And Alex uh, Gersbach also played for them as well. What's going on at uh, this side to get the Aussies there? Yeah, we've had a couple there over the last couple of years. I think Mustafa Ramini who's yeah, back at Sydney FC in. now. Yeah. I believe he might have played... Uh, actually, no, I think I'm thinking of Randers there. But Amini spent a good period of time there. Gersbach's gone uh, over there and he's left. He's, he's gone on to Grenoble in, in France. But the one who's yeah. still there at the moment there, Derek, is Zach Duncan, who spent some time at Brisbane Raw, spent time in and around the Australian under-23 setup, And he's quite the talent, but did his knee and he's on the comeback. So a precocious young talent coming back from a knee injury. Uh, Jack Wilshire perhaps might have a few tips for him, Derek. Uh, Derek, what was interesting about Wiltshire, I, I did read that it was Roy Hodgson who has a um, connection with one of the assistant coaches at our house who made the call on behalf of Jack Wiltshire. So Roy was ringing around trying to find him a club. It's astounding to see the fall that uh, players had can from you know what the what you were describing, and I, I believe he's been training with Arsenal during this period where he's had no club, but he couldn't find a club. No, of course, Roy was the manager when England lost to Iceland in that famous game in the Euros. And uh, uh, that was really, he could draw a timeline from that moment to where Jack Wilshire now. So Roy obviously still has some favour with Jack. And of course, Roy knows his way around Scandinavia as well. Our house's chairman, I believe, is Stig Inge Bjornaby. So... There's a Liverpool there connection there for Rob. I don't know if Rob remembers Stig from his his time with Liverpool in the 90s. But look, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe cover the... Now that we've got not just a Wilshire line, but but obviously the Aussie line there, let's cover our house for a bit this season. Did, see did you remember the Roy Hodgson press conference after the Iceland <laughs> loss? Do you, remember the do. Best, do you remember what he did? Just let us... Why don't you just uh, recall what happened there for all our listeners, Rob, uh, Derek? Well, it's the one I think you're referring to. I believe they sacked him, but they still made him go out and do a press conference. And he just said, I've just been sacked, so I'm not saying anything. I don't know why why I'm here, (laughs) is what he said. I feel sorry for Roy. I I always want Roy to do well. We love the Hodgesaurus, we do. What a Korean football he's had. What player? A player that probably was on the pitch against Iceland, I reckon, Edge, was Harry Kane. Uh, I, I know you wanted to say a few things about him. We spoke to him earlier. Spoke to, we didn't speak to him earlier. We spoke about him earlier with Jamie Jackson. But what, what are your thoughts on Harry Kane? Well, he's produced one of the season's standout performances when he scored twice for his side as they slayed um, Manchester City 3-2. Um, that was a, a remarkable performance. But that wasn't really the thing that grabbed my attention. He still has two more years on an existing contract at Tottenham at the end of this season. So that's why Daniel Levy was so strong on him not leading in the off-season to Manchester City last off-season. But what stood out to me is that um, his partnership with Korea's, probably is with Korea's best ever player ever, Son Heung-ming, they are now statistically the joint most effective pairing in Premier League history. They have 36 goal combinations between them um, and they've skipped past the great Arsenal pairing of Robert Perez and Thierry Henry. So my question back to you, Derek, is if you think about that pairing, Perez and Henry, which was remarkable, um, these two guys have gone past them. So where does 
Harry Kane sit in the pantheon of great Premier League strikers right now? Oh, look, I think he sits pretty highly uh, in the pantheon. And I, I mean, I'm hugely uh, impressed with, with Son Hyun Min, not just his player, he just seems like a, a great fella and a great guy to have in your team. However, I would say that the biggest difference between the two that you've drawn comparison to there is the trophy cabinet edge. And I, yep. I, I don't say that just as an Arsenal fan, but, no, but these guys have it, not. Yeah. These guys have not won, including silverware. World Cups, including World Cups. Yeah, yeah. So there's nothing there. They they took uh, Spurs to the Champions League final. I think that was a great achievement in the circumstances. It matched what Arsenal have done in that tournament. But you know, Arsenal, Robert Perez, and Henri are amongst the most decorated players in it's our It's just an interesting history, comparison, though, in, in the combination of goals, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it, it is. And, and they're very different as well. You know, very different kinds of players. I think Son Min is a, a unique player. And I can't draw a comparison to anyone. I think he is. Um, I yeah. think he is. Uh, I mean, for Australian football fans, you know, we've had some wonderful players who really struck their stuff in the in the Premier League. Mark Viduka and Harry Kuhl are probably the standouts. Tim Cahill, obviously, but Song, he, he is he is a super player. Is he the best Asian player to have played in the Premier League? I think it's a good question. I don't know what the I, answer is. But uh, I'd say undoubtedly. I'm, yeah. I'm just racking my brain. Is he better than Tim Cahill? Strong. Is he better than Tim Cahill? Interesting. Uh, I think he's in the conversation, you know, but, but Tim Cahill, longevity over a long career and also where he did it from as well, the platform he did it from and the overall influence he had on his team and the importance he played. But like Son is just as important. Um, you know, the poor bloke had to go away and do military training, didn't he? Or, or whatever it was. No, so like, don't forget he went to school in Australia too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, look, a, a, a question for another day, I think, Edge, but I'll think about that one. It no, certainly won't one. be Arsenal's Janichi Inamoto, who who didn't really make it. Uh, but our young, our, so our right back uh, could also be in that conversation one day too. But let's bring things home with a bit of women's football edge. Uh, obviously, we, we try and cover as much of the game as we can. You've got some news on training venues and, and, a, and a very uh, unfortunate set of incidents for a uh, New Zealand centre-back. Well, let's start. Well, obviously, the She Believes <laughs> Cup is on at the moment. Uh, New Zealand is uh, over there playing uh, the games. They, they had to play the US women's national team and they were defeated 5-0. But in the first half, it's not often scoring a perfect hat-trick uh, can bring you uh, such an international acrimony as what this is. Michaela Moore, the starting uh, centre-back for New Zealand, also plays for Liverpool in the Women's Super League. Well, she got her foot on the end of the ball three times and put it in her own net three times in the first half and had to be uh, substituted because she needed consoling. So to Rob Gilbert and the Liverpool fans, um, <laughs> cop that one, brother. Isn't it interesting how um, a, uh, a diehard Arsenal supporter can find some way to to attach the ignominy of this particular hat-trick to Liverpool? Uh, that's an indication of just how well you guys are going right now, Edge. And look, we hey, don't... We, we're, um, we're, we're, we're big chance of finishing in the top four, brother. Yeah, yeah you are. You are, of course. And uh, um, and we'll see you in our wake. But look, no, <laughs> with respect, uh, Michaela Moore is a quality footballer and it's just sad. I mean, was all, a, was we, a, we, I'm having a bit of fun, but um, everyone felt for her, didn't they? Yeah. And she, and she, yes, it's exactly right. We've all had um, um, shithouse moments in our lives. And some are on the I've put my foot through the ball a couple, of, a couple of times and it's gone into the back of the net in <laughs> exactly. the wrong direction. 
yeah, that, that was one of them. And, but there was the, the other story before we wrap up, Edge, uh, on a more serious note, the uh, the training venues. for the Yeah, it's worth uh, just sort of running through them because all these venues will already have received funds to upgrade or will be in NRL are happy about them. That's right. They're not happy at all, are those? But Adelaide Marsden Sport Complex, there's that fantastic new South Australian Football Centre at Jeps Cross, Brisbane, Perry Park. Uh, and Spencer Park uh, in Melbourne, uh, Port Melbourne, Lakeside Stadium, the home of Hellas, and uh, Reggio Calabria Club in Parkville is going to get uh, a makeover. In Perth, Dorian Gardens at West Perth, fantastic that that's uh, going to be uh, uh, upgraded a little bit, as is the Western Australian State Football Centre, Queens Park in Sydney. It's um, the Marks Athletics Field in Kensington. Leichhardt Oval will be taken out of circulation for NRL. Valentine Sports Park, which is the Sydney uh, Football New South Wales uh, Centre and Western Sydney Wanderers Centre of Football in Rudy Hill. Um, and But just on that, Rob, the NRL have been making noises that they're a bit grumpy about the Women's World Cup because they're losing Stadium Australia, Leichhardt Oval and the Sydney Football Stadium. Can I just say to um, all of the NRL people in New South Wales, uh, we don't give a shit about that. Now, I was sort of wondering how you were going to go uh, down that line, Edge, but uh, you sort of pretty much uh, hit the bullseye as to my expectations. So <laughs> I follow uh, the, the Rugby League and have done uh, since childhood. We love Rugby League, but we don't give a shit about uh, that comment. No, no, I was about to agree with you, furiously agree with you, in fact. No, but uh, that, um, that's one for one for the good guys, uh, finally, after all these years. That's all right. right. We'd better wrap it up there, boys. Uh, Edge, um, you're settling back in home after your long stint overseas. And, I am, um, and there's so much football news. I've, I've been to see a couple of football games, and, and obviously earlier in the... Uh, uh, the night I talked about uh, my trip down to Kingston Heath last week to see a mm. A-League W game, which wasn't there. It was at Amy Park. <laughs> God. Yes, we giggled about that when you said it, but it still uh, remains. It's, it's very funny. It's amazing. I, just, I, go to, I go to football matches all over the world in my professional capacity and in my hometown, I went yeah. to the wrong stadium. It I says something, fun. doesn't it? The funniest thing um, about the whole thing is that it happened to you, and, uh, yes, and I would have loved to have been there watching your face and seeing your reaction. Like, <laughs> right, where mate. is everyone? I'm the only one here. All right, mate. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Willem, thank you. Well done. Thank you, Rob. And uh, a big shout-out. Uh, we know uh, that your dear beloved uh, uh, Opa is uh, not doing too well right now, mate, so from all the boys at Box to Box. And we're sure all of our listeners, we wish you and your family all the very best, mate. Um, under the current trying circumstances. And uh, to our mate Derek, thank you. Cheers, gents. Well done. We'll see you next week. Damo and Damien Tardia, our man on the buttons, always doing his level best to make us sound as good as we possibly can. And to our listeners, we'll look forward to you joining us next week. Please subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.